Hey, what's up? My name is Ding Shiren. Hi, my name's Angie. And welcome, welcome back to the Chew On It podcast, a weekly podcast where we delve into the mental health issues faced by youths today. This is a production by Brahm Centre, a charity in Singapore promoting happier and healthier living. Let's dive straight into our topic today, Angie, and we're talking about depression and suicide. Both of which I have some experience with, yes. Heavy topic. Okay, Um, we look at the data here in Singapore, right? Three out of four students in NUS they were at risk of depression, you know, because of the pandemic, the restrictions and all, and the fact that, you know, um, I, I believe the lockdown, they had to live by themselves. They didn't have, you know, especially those um, coming to Singapore by themselves. Well, it's uh, not difficult to end up being in depression when we feel unsupported, uh, when things in our life don't go as expected. And sometimes we experience setbacks. So usually if one thing goes wrong in our life, we are still able to handle it. Uh, but when two or more things go wrong in our life, uh, that's when we may suffer what we call a mental breakdown. Hmm. Usually depression doesn't just come about right away. It starts with anxiety and repeated or prolonged sense of anxiety can lead to the experiencing of uh, anxiety attacks. And that's when we feel breathless. We feel our chest tightening, like, you know, we can't breathe or yeah. there's pain around our chest area. Um, and we may even feel our head going um, spinning or going blank, um, like a brain fog, uh, difficulty in concentrating or even remembering things. Like a panic attack. Yeah, so that is really a sign of panic attacks. Yeah. And when this is also not addressed or there's no intervention, then it could actually lead to depression. Another data I found online, right, uh, related to Singapore, is something that you can uh, relate to, Angie. It's um, the increase in uh, the number of people here in Singapore experiencing caregiver stress. Yes, I can relate to that because my mother was suffering from dementia and I was her caregiver. And I recall um, being quite shocked when I um, was involved in undressing her to wash her, to yeah. shower her and seeing how her body has aged mm. and uh, seeing the state that she's in being quite helpless. And I think the anxiety came from one's own fear, in this case, my fear of, yeah. oh my gosh, I could end up being like that. And that was terrifying. Was that about around the same time when you experienced depression? Yes, so uh, caring for my mom, uh, having dementia, my marriage broke down um, and I also had uh, a setback in my relationships with some friends which I thought they were my friends but yeah. there was such a a betrayal. Um, so mm. these things all culminating uh, really just caused my um, sense of being in control, uh, just disintegrating. Yeah. You spoke about you wanting to end your life, right, in one of our earlier episodes. What was going through your mind at that time? Well, first of all, one of the uh, symptoms of depression is suicide ideation. Hmm. So what was going on in my mind is actually normal of anyone suffering from depression because it's the mind's way of giving you an avenue to escape from the intense emotional pain. So it's not that people with depression wants to end their life. Basically, they just want to end the pain. Yeah. And when you wanted to end your life, what was going through your mind? Well, I didn't end my life because I was uh, aware, sufficiently aware that 
there will be many people who will suffer. Yeah, of course. And that would include my family members and friends yeah. uh, who would probably feel guilty and feel that they could have done something to help me. And frankly, they couldn't have done something to help me because, uh, first of all, many of them didn't even realize I was suffering from depression because mm. I was highly f uh, functional. Mm. And um, secondly, they didn't know enough to be able to help me. So I'm saying this because people who have lost their friends or family members to uh, suicide, please stop punishing yourself because you couldn't have helped. Mm, mm. You know, I see um, a lot of quotes online about depression and one of them says, depression is a hidden illness. A bit of what you said just now about, you know, you um, having high-functioning depression. For those of us who are high-functioning, people may not actually see the signs of us uh, suffering from depression. Although if someone was really observant, they would have seen me lose a lot of weight. Mm. Um, but they may think that I'm just you know, on diet to try to uh, lose some pounds. Mm. So, yeah, for some people, it is obvious. And um, some people do self-harming. And that's not because they really want to hurt themselves. Actually, it's a form of relief. So when someone cuts their arm yeah. uh, or their thighs or even their stomach area because uh, these parts are covered, so it's really not easy for people to um, notice. notice. Yeah. And they are just actually trying to cope mm. with with um, with the pain that they're experiencing because the cutting of their skin that produces some physical pain is actually a relief for the intense emotional pain that they're experiencing. How then do you confront a friend who is suicidal? Like, how do you bring up that topic? I would say that uh, first observe their behavior. Are they starting to uh, turn to alcohol? Mm. or starting to smoke uh, when smoking is not something that they usually do yeah. um, and losing interest in what they used to uh, enjoy doing or being um, reclusive. So these are some of the signs for you to take note of that um, there could be something going on in their mind and they're starting to feel disenchanted with life. So if you were to be able to ask the question like, hey, you know, are you feeling down? Yeah. Sometimes you have to be a bit more direct. And uh, if they say, yeah, say, say, you're not planning to uh, end your life, right? Or commit suicide. As uh, articles have been put out there that bringing up the topic of suicide doesn't increase the risk of someone committing suicide. In fact, it allows them to really be able to uh, talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. But if someone wants to, you know, end his or her life, do you think there's a chance of us, you know, possibly... Uh, coaxing the person out of it of course because there's still an instinct in us that we want to carry on living mm. and uh, if someone talks about the elephant in the room like the suicide ideation it is helpful for that person to be able to admit to it and to discuss it because uh, you know it's like talk therapy when you are able to talk about something it actually hurts less because you externalize it instead of constantly internalizing uh, the issue or the problem. But both the victim and the friend in this case would be very often helpless, right? Because I'm sure as much as, you know, you can talk about it and all, it's very hard for them to help. It's very hard for the friend to help the victim and for the victim to, you know, help himself as well. If you're still in school, it would be a good idea for you to alert a teacher. Mm. 
if you are not in school anymore, um, that means you're a bit older and it might be very helpful for you to suggest, hey, how about um, I recommend you to go somewhere for um, some counseling or for someone who is more knowledgeable to um, discuss the issues with you. How about coming to Brahm Center? Uh, we actually offer counseling to all the 4,500 house officers, medical officers, dental officers, and residents in the healthcare system. And uh, we uh, also support companies who sign up with us for counseling services. And we're open to the public. So please reach out to us and uh, many other uh, social service agencies and even private um, therapy clinics who can actually help you because your life is precious. Your life is important. So help yourself and don't just uh, give up. Yeah. But it, what happens if you're the one suffering yourself? How do you make yourself hurt? Because it takes a lot of courage, right? And, and in your case, Angie, back then, you know, when you were suffering from depression and you had all these suicidal thoughts, did you reach out for help? I reached out by attending mindfulness retreats. Mm. I was very fortunate to have learned about mindfulness before I ended up in this uh, mental health condition. Yeah. And going back into the mindfulness practice, attending the retreats helped me to clear my mind, sort out the issues in my mind, unpack them, and being aware that a lot of the um, perspectives that I was holding in my mind were actually not helpful. Mm. And once I was able to unpack them and start to shift my perspective that my life wasn't so bad after all, uh, I didn't screw up so badly after all, uh, my life is still good, and that's when I started to pull myself out that very dark tunnel that I sunk into because it was my thoughts. Yeah. They were my thoughts that I failed. It, um, so that so was, it's all that catastrophizing, all that, you know. That's right. Making things seem worse than they actually are. Yes, it's the mental catastrophizing that caused us to sink. Nobody's even necessarily saying it to us. And even if somebody said something nasty to us, they only said one time. But the number of times we recycle that in our mind is what causes the biggest damage. Right. Okay, Um, going back to this topic, right, about depression and uh, suicide. Let's talk about depression versus sadness first. And the big question, you know, for, for many people, how do I know I'm on the road to depression? Or am I just going through a sad phase in my life? Everybody could end up feeling a bit sad, you know, especially when, um, let's say you didn't get the grade that you wanted mm, or you had course, for, yeah. or you didn't get the promotion that you had wanted or you didn't get the job that you applied for or whatever that may be. You feel disappointed, so you feel sad. So yeah. you feel a bit down. Um, but, you know, after about a few days or a week, you come out of it because then you refocus your mind on what's something else you can pursue instead. Yeah, Depression... Uh, doesn't just last one week or two weeks. It goes on for months. And, and when should you catch yourself before you sink into that? When you find that your sadness kind of continues from one week to the next week, and then you start to look at things negatively, not just that one thing you didn't get, but you start to look at the world negatively. like, And then you have these uh, thoughts of, 
you know, I'm just a failure. Um, I'm hopeless. Uh, life is just so bleak and uh, life's not worth living. So when you start to think like that, that's um, a setup for ourselves to sink into depression. Angie, do you know that um, you know the, the youth suicide rates here in Singapore are increasing, right? And I think a big factor, or rather five big factors would be um, first, school stress, right? Uh, social media, I'm sure discrimination, bullying, relationship problems, and of course, LGBTQ plus uh, identity struggles. But we'll cover more, more of that in the, next, uh, in the upcoming episodes. Lah. But for now, let's first talk about school stress. Do you think that the education system here in Singapore is contributing to that, you know, uh, possible... Um, students, you know, sinking into depression and then, you know, leading to suicide. So let's unpack the education system because we think that it is some system out there that's external to us. Actually, the education um, scene comprises teachers, parents, friends. Yeah. And your own self-expectation. Sometimes your parents don't realize what they may be doing is not helping you. And maybe you need to get them to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And secondly is to sit down with your parents and say, you know, mom or dad, what you are currently doing is not helping me. Mm. Because they may not realize that. They thought that by nagging you, keep reminding you, keep pushing you is their way of helping you. And you and I know it's not. Yeah. But they may not realize that. So you need to sit them down and make them realize it. What about the peer pressure part? Well, do you want to compete with the world all the time? Or do you want to compete with yourself that you're able to do better next time if you changed your approach in studying or how you revise your uh, um, your books or concepts? Well, what's wrong with comparing with the world though? If it helps you, if it motivates you, go for it. But there's always somebody in the world, right? Or many people in the world who are going to do better than you. Mm, do you yeah. also compare yourself with the people who don't do as well? So that you have a more balanced view that there will always be people who do better and there will always be people who don't do better. And uh, so I have actually made a point when I was growing up that I'm not going to compare myself with others. I'm going <laughs> to focus on what I can do best mm. and enjoy what I'm doing and be accepting of myself. And that is what boosts my confidence. That's great. And speaking about accepting yourself, what about um, youths today who are suffering from identity struggles, right? If we talk about LGBTQ+, and this community. For those of you who discovered that you are an LGBTQ+, community member, um, is perhaps for you to be able to come forward to talk about it. We don't think that people who discover themselves as a LGBTQ plus is going to be able to change uh, because it's how they're born. So it's then one self-acceptance and then having people who will support you uh, in what you discovered about yourself. And that's what's important. And I think that's the hard part, right? Getting, because, you know, apart from convincing or rather managing yourself and being accepting towards yourself, I think the harder part would be getting the wider community to accept you. So we do it slowly. Uh, we don't try to force other people to accept us. We 
increase the circle of our uh, network by first uh, being open to people who are accepting of us. Yeah. So, you know, let's not be ambitious because change, whether in mindset or change in the society, will be a gradual process. Mm. And uh, Angie, have you seen um, Simon Sinek's videos online? Yes, I have. He's a great motivational speaker. He talked about how, you know, people get depressed after working so hard for and, you know, later achieving their finite goals, right? Because, you know, for many people, they spend their whole life working so hard for one dream, right? That, that dream on, on the top of their bucket list. And when they've achieved it, they go, what's next? People have been living for the future. People usually have aims that they think that when they achieve something, they will be happy. And if they're not happy, then how? The whole world... So happiness has become like a mirage. <laughs> you think that, oh, when I pass my exams, I'll be happy. When I graduate, I'll be happy. When I find a job, I'll be happy. When I get married, I'll be happy. And somehow, you don't seem to find it. And you think, oh, when I have children, I'll be happy. And that complicates things even more. <laughs> so uh, we need to stop thinking that happiness is in the future. Hmm. Happiness is in the here and now, that we live the present. And which is why mindfulness has become a big thing because it's one uh, approach to helping us to learn how to live more in the present. But we talked about how you know mindfulness... Um, teaches you to be happy in the present moment and all that. And I have to think about this thing called toxic positivity, right? The fact that, um, you know, for some people when they're feeling down, what their friends would do would be, you know, tell them, why are you so down? There's nothing to be sad about. Just cheer up. That's because they don't understand that mental well-being is similar to physical well-being. Mm -hmm. Just as if you... Uh, sprain your ankle would you ever say to your friend um, hey just get up you can walk mm, just get mm. up and walk your foot is fine you wouldn't do that because you understand that uh, a physical injury takes time to heal Yeah. same with a mental health condition it takes time for the mind to heal so it's a case of ignorance uh, people just don't know and they may say the wrong thing because they're just trying to be helpful and sometimes they could have, you know, the best intentions, you know, by, by, by saying these kind of things. How then do we notice ourselves or, or rather catch ourselves doing things like that? Especially when we're not mindful. Sometimes our belief system sets us up for failure. Because we believe that we're so good. We believe that we're so smart. We believe that we've been doing well all our life and there is not a possibility for us to uh, have a setback. So when we have certain belief systems, it can really set us up for um, a depression, including, oh, you know, you're not normal if you're gay. That's a belief system. And these belief systems need to be challenged. And that is what helps us to normalize and to be more accepting of diversity. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Cause True On It is a production by Brahm Census Singapore. Uh, don't forget to follow them on their socials at Brahm Census Singapore on Facebook and at Brahm Sensor SG on Instagram. Uh, next week, it's our second last episode of the season. 
discrimination and racism, right? Does it happen here in Singapore? Plus a little teaser on our uh, very special last episode and our season finale. Uh, join us next week.